The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, so this is this I, uh, Andrea fellow who's the normal or the regular teacher for Thursday nights uh, is away, and so she asked me to um, give a talk last week and this week. So how many of you were here last week? Okay. Um, well, last week I gave an introduction to some of the qualities of our experience that it's, it's said to be important to pay attention to in meditation. Uh, last night I was leading a um, beginner's group and one of the questions that came up that I thought was, you know, often comes up in those kind of groups is, so what's the purpose of meditation? I mean, why are, why are, we, why are we sitting here paying attention to our breath or paying attention to bodily sensations? What does this mindfulness practice, what problem is it going to solve? You know, what, why should we do it? And the probably one way to respond to that would be to turn the question around and ask ask the person asking the question, so why did you come here? You know, why why are you doing this practice? You know, I mean I can't I really don't have the answer for you, right? You know, you have to have your own answer of what what drew you to coming to IMC, what drew you to um, thinking that um, this was a practice, uh, well, not only the meditation practice, but all of the other practices that, that are taught here, um, you know, what, what drew you to come? So I'd actually like to hear from uh, at least some of you as to what what um, brings you here? Why, you know, why are you doing meditation practice? Is there some some um, goal or objective or um, some idea of what you've what you think this will lead to, or um, or what have you experienced? You know, is there some something that you've experienced in doing the meditation practice that, um, you know, has kind of makes you want to continue this practice. So I know for me, I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story before Maureen passes around the microphone. Um, you know, it really was, it was just a little over 15 years ago I was having this experience where I was obsessed with a woman. And I really thought that my happiness was dependent on her being as obsessed with me as I was obsessed with her. You know, I thought, yeah, no, that's really true relational happiness is mutual obsession. And, you know, as I said that to myself, I said, well, you know, Jim, that, 
in sort of an objective way, that sounds pretty crazy. You know, like, I don't know why you would think that. But nonetheless, just kind of knowing that on a conscious level, that it's, that that wasn't a very um, sound way of thinking, didn't stop the thoughts from occurring. You know, I kept, you know, I kept like, you know, where is my happiness? Where, you know, how, how am I going to get somebody to give me what it's going to take for me to be happy? So that was really the start for me, really, really realizing, you know, I think I need to be able to um, understand what's going on with me in a way that just thinking about it alone um, doesn't do, or how can, maybe I said that wrong. Thinking about it alone didn't seem to be working. It didn't seem to be getting down to you know what's really going on here. So that's why I I came to meditation, and you know it was really the the start for me of of wanting to understand. Where does happiness lie? You know, for me, you know, what, what, what would lead to a state of um, happiness or well-being that um, wasn't dependent on somebody else responding me to me in a particular way? But was there some way that I could tap into happiness or, or a sense of well-being or at least a sense of peace that wasn't dependent on everything being exactly the way I thought it needed to be? So um, so that put me on the path. That, that brought me to IMC back when it was in Palo Alto. And... It still keeps me coming, you know. There's still, there's still a very strong tendency in in this heart and mind to keep thinking that happiness is somewhere out there, you know. That it's, it's with a particular person or with a, you know some just peak experience, you know. Like maybe if I climbed Mount Everest, you know, like on the top of Mount Everest would be happiness. So. So I'm curious um, about each one of you, of what, um, maybe not your deepest, I mean, you know, you don't have to share anything beyond what you feel comfortable with, but maybe since you're all here tonight, um, you might have some, something that you'd like to, to um Share whether whether it's it's been a direct experience or maybe some idea or seen somebody else that seemed to have really brightened up by coming to this practice. So, um, if if you are willing, um, I, I'd really like to hear that. That would be a good place for for me to start to talk about uh, what I wanted to talk about tonight. So, yeah, Marie. I had some 
habits of mind, some grooves that my mind would go into that did not work. Mm. And meditation has sort of been the user's manual that I didn't get for my mind. Mm. So that that my observational skills in seeing what's going on and what I really feel and what's really influencing me, that's improved over the years. Mm. And one thing I've noticed is I don't tend to live as quite as at arm's length from things mm. than I did maybe 10 years ago that things are right here mm. and non-abstract, and that's sort of a, um, a benefit. Great, thanks. Do not laugh, please. Um. <clears throat> Why am I here? Gosh. Um, I am going through s some difficult times right now, and I have a grief counselor who is a wonderful, wonderful man. I have tremendous respect to him. Uh, he texted me once, just a couple weeks ago, and he said that I should hold the heart and I should find love in the heart. I would rely that the heart would hold all of me in it. And I would find refuge in the heart. I thought, gosh, he's hitting on me. <laughs> 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 I wished. <laughs> then I, I thought, it's puzzling. Then I asked him, what do you mean? Who is the heart? What is the heart? And he said, the heart is your own heart. So it just dawned on me that, like you were saying before, the comfort and love will come from my own heart within. So I had to find it. And he gave me some guided uh, meditation, like 10 minute thing and it was just delicious, it was just so beautiful and I've been doing yoga for uh, so many years and it just reminded me that when I do yoga poses with the muscles, holding the muscles and the pain and the, all that agony but you just hold on to your breathe, you write your breathe and you find that deliciousness in the yoga poses and and I related to meditation that it would give me like a quietness like love coming from within um, it is like inner peace I think although I, I am not a you know heavy duty meditation person yet but as far as I, I have gone, it's, it's just peaceful. Mm. And I don't think anyone else can give me this peace and love. Mm. 
but myself, yeah. It's good. Great. Thank you. Great, thank you. First time I've spoken through the microphone with this, this group, and I have a lot of often have a lot of difficulty talking in groups. And, um, mm -hmm. But I've been reading um, a book by Philip Moffat called um, "Emotional Chaos to Clarity," and um, I, I had um, two major losses last last year, and I've been um, going through the grief process and um, sort of. Um, lost major roles um, connected to the death of my mother and also the loss of a, a job after 24 years and sort of um, trying to, you know, work with grieving and bringing back meaning in, into my life. And um, um, one of the things that um, Philip Moffat, like I'm working with um, intentions and core values and um, he talks about um, like abundance versus uh, scarcity consciousness, and and um, it's not really he's not really talking about materials. He's talking about intangibles. Like when you are experiencing um, scarcity, you don't think that you really have anything to give. That um, you know you're you have limited intelligence. There there's a lot of um, self-deprecation that occurs and. And um, you short circuit yourself because you don't um, get the um, extra value that, or, or that comes from from opening your heart and giving to other people. Basically, your heart is closed. And, mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a wonderful book. I just like I highly recommend it to people. And um, you know, it's difficult going, but I just keep going back to it and. You know, I started the year, um, you know, I do a yearly goal setting and he's uh, exercise and he talked about um, the difference between intentions and core value. Like intentions are kind of the link between your underlying core values and your goals. And, and when you're setting goals, you're um, trying to get from point A to point B. You're, you're in the process of becoming instead of being, whereas intentions are about reaffirming your core values, like from, from minute to minute, and that you may uh, go off and not express your core values and your actions in the, in the world, but then you just come back and, and start over. Yeah. Well, thank you. I also wanted to say that um, you don't necessarily have to know why you come. You know, that, when I, Gil told me that, you know, at some point, you know, you think, well, okay, am I, do I really know what's going on? And he said, you don't really have to know why you're, you come. So it isn't, so if, if nothing's coming up or, you know, it's nothing that you can, it's, it's still okay. There was a, a long time for me where it was just like, All I knew was I f it brought a certain peace to know that there was a practice. There was something to do. Even though I didn't know exactly, I didn't necessarily have the experience or the confidence of knowing 
where it was going to go. I knew that being with the teachers that I had and, and the peers that I had, um, seemed more skillful, a more skillful way to live than any other way that I knew of. So, so I also wanted to say that. So did, did you wanna? <clears throat> well, one thing I, I've noticed is that, uh, you know, meditation is, a, is sort of calming and you get a more quiet uh, uh, outlook. And I began thinking, why, why would that be, you know? <clears throat> one thing could have, um, maybe it allows you to, to kind of um, get in touch with your, your true beliefs. I mean, you know, as we live day to day in our you know, hectic uh, work and, and schedules that we have most, most of the time, we get away from uh, uh, some of our beliefs, maybe. And I think just that dis uh, incongruity that uh, arises gives us uh, anxious feelings so that meditation may bring you back to your core, to your beliefs, so that you're living with the, um, your true intention. And that uh, it may eliminate some, uh, some uh, you know, upset uh, feelings, mm -hmm. you know. So that's one thing I, I could share. Great, well thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, on and off, uh, sorry, on and off last year, um, I started reading and trying to practice Joe Kabat-Zinn's book on mindfulness, and I had some limited success, but I could never actually really mo uh, meditate for very long. I just couldn't, I don't know, just there was, I, I could use it, I could monitor my breathing, I could monitor my walking and calm down, but um, there was no spirituality to it. Um, I think it was just the way it was written, and that's what I could get out of it. Um, but when I came here, um, I think it's that there's this undefined spirituality that really comes through here, which has really made me able to meditate just, just as long, you know, 45 minutes, and now I can, I've been doing it on my own, um, even sometimes. And uh, it's just given this sort of spirituality, I think, like what you're talking about, um, without having to define it, right? So let's, mm. let's the mind just explore it on its own. Because um, like when I was in college, I, you know, I studied Buddhism like a lot of us. And I think I, that was like even a detriment past a certain point because you, know, you think too much about the Buddha and what the Buddha thinks and, and just the simple spirituality, I think, got blocked just by the learning the history and all that. So that's why I'm coming here now. Is it this, it's just really, I don't know, it's very simple just the spirituality comes through, and I'm really benefiting from the meditating now. Great. Thank you. I started meditating um, when I started working with high school kids. I used to work for Palo Alto High School, and the students there would just make me crazy, and I would just, you know, absorb their, you know, uh, they're frantic, striving, and I 
And I also felt very intimidated by them because they were so much better with so many things. That, you know, their, their technology was right on, and it, they were extraordinary people. And I'd go home exhausted from managing them, communicating with them, um, being hurt by them, probably hurting them. Uh, I just had to have some, just to sit it out. And it gave me a great deal of relief just to sit. And then I retired and I, um, I thought, well, maybe should I go hiking with people? Should I join a book group or learn to cook? And I just remembered meditating and I thought, I just really, really want to just sit with people. I don't want to do anything with people right now except it's so comforting to me just to sit with people and be in here with other people. And I'm just so glad everybody in this room is in this room tonight. I don't know you, but it's just such a gift to be able to sit with you. Thank you. I resonated with what all of you said. Um, trying to think. I at, at in New at the um, between Christmas and a little after New Year's, I sat a ten-day retreat at Spirit Rock, and. So that was like 11 days, 10 nights of meditating, you know, kind of day and night. And I think I had this idea of paying attention meant having my mind knowing what was going on, you know, that I could label things. And it wasn't until pretty much the last night that I heard a Dharma talk by uh, John Travis, who's a teacher. He's, well, he's been a teacher of mine uh, since 1999. Where he talked, he was talk, giving a talk on the factors of enlightenment. Where it was, he was really pointing out um, about kind of bringing the awareness, not only the awareness of the mind, the kind of the investigation, having a concentrated mind so that one can investigate what's going on, but also having like an energetic body or having a body that's balanced between energy and tranquility so that, that there's a knowing with the body. And then also um, with the heart, there's, um, there's joy. You know, that as, as the heart becomes awakened to what's going on, and I, th I think you talked about that, that there's, um, that there's the energy of the heart that brings joy, and that also is balanced with equanimity. So it's not all about being joyful all the time, but also have, you know, developing the, um, 
ability for the heart to be with whatever's happening. You know, so it, that might be just, you know, your your best friend just had some wonderful news and you, you're really excited to be about with that. Um, last night we had somebody who was here talking about um, spending time with a friend who's, teenage son had just taken his own life and he wanted to know how does how how does this practice relate to a situation like that you know and so you know in that case it's bringing your the awareness of the heart you know the the compassion and the presence to a situation of suffering so so for me the as the practice has deepened i've realized that 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 i don't know if i'd want to that that mindfulness is more than just paying attention to the mind there's also the kind of heartfulness and bodyfulness you know the um having all three um centers really knowing what's going on and i found i found that as i as i explored what it's like to kind of not only know and be aware of what's going on being mindful with kind of the 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 mind or the cognitive part of um, of my um, my awareness but also having the heart know what's going on and having the body know what's going on really kind of made the practice go from being kind of one dimensional to three dimensional so um, I offer that as as encouragement. So what I wanted, so last week I talked about the three marks of existence, the three qualities of our experience that it's important so when I, part of the reason for asking why did you come here and what's, what's the point of doing mindfulness practice, that as the practice deepens, there's three qualities of our experience that we're taught to pay attention to. And one of them is paying attention to um, suffering as it arises, this dukkha. So dukkha can also be described as um, discontent, um, dissatisfaction, stress, you know, just some, you know, paying attention to in what way are we, um, are we kind of contracted around or fighting against the experience that we're having. Now, most of the time, if somebody told you that, that it 
that there was some value in paying attention to that, you'd probably think, well, you know, I spent all my life trying to avoid paying attention to that quality. Um, And as I said last week, you know, kind of the central teaching of the Buddha was to pay attention to that, not so that you'd suffer more, but really to realize how, what's, what's fueling that? Why, why is that going on? And what would it take to end that, that process, that contraction, that dissatisfaction? Um, the second of these three things that um, we pay attention to is the kind of impersonal nature of our experience. You know, that oftentimes, for example, um, you know, an emotion arises, and right away we think, well, this is my anger. You know, I'm angry, or this is my, um, my joy, my happiness. You know, and, and so there's an identification with it as though this is, this is who we really are. And not recognizing that all of these things that we're experiencing are just things that everyone else experiences. And we're just happening to claim that that experience is who we are. And we don't see that, there, that there's nothing unique to that experience that's, that, that's really who we are. And, but not recognizing that, we often try to cling to it, you know, like, you know, my happiness. So I know where my happiness is now, you know, it's this, um, you know, it might be with a certain person or it might be with a certain experience. And then you try to hold on to that. Um, And then, of course, it changes, and so we no longer, it, you know, it, we, we we try to hang on to things that 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 um, are transitory. And then the the third quality is impermanence, and that's I think that's related to the not self uh, quality. Um, See, I, I, was noted, I was trying to think of what, what ex- examples could I give from, from the last few hours that I've experienced where I've tried to hang on to something, where I've been trying to hang on to something that's impermanent and it's really caused, I've come to grief from that. So um, this morning when I left my house, I got my meditation cushion and I set it in the front hall so I wouldn't forget to bring it tonight. And when I got here, I opened my trunk. There's no meditation cushion. Um, So my memory is very impermanent these days. The older I get, the more I realize it's like, oh, you know, I, I really can't rely on remembering things because... You know, as hard as I try, uh, I forget. 
Not only that, but then just before I left work to come here, I had a folder full of notes about what I was going to say tonight. And I got here, and I looked on the seat next to me, and I realized the folder was still sitting in my office, right next to my computer case. You know, I had remembered to pick up the computer case, but I forgot to bring the folder. So... um, So I noticed a couple things. First was, oh, I forgot. And then, so that was the, the impermanence of memory. Um, and that wasn't too bad. But then the, har- the harder part was the self-judgment. You know, like, I should remember these things. You know, I, you know this is, I'm not the kind of person that would forget these things. And so the... The, the suffering really came around seeing the judgments that I had about the impermanence of my memory the, um, and the identification with how I think I ought to be. So, you know, so I guess is. As I've gotten older, it's, it's gotten somewhat easier to let go of the, the notion of having this mind that really can remember and be reliable, um, partly because it's become less and less reliable, so it's, it's harder to hold on to that, that idea that, that I'm a, uh, you know, uh, somebody with a good memory. What other things? Um, so the things that I that I've noticed that are impermanent um, have to do with you know my cognitive ability, ability to remember. Um, uh, the body, you know, that my body isn't the same as it was when I was twenty years old. I I was watching a. Um, a program this afternoon at work about um, this 37-year-old man who had sailed in a race from New York City all the way around to San Francisco. And I watched, you know, he was describing physically what it's like to be on this sailboat. Um, You know, it's cold, like you're getting hit by waves all the time. And um, I remembered when I could do that kind of sailing, and now the thought of being out on the ocean for 47 days was just, like, I couldn't imagine realistically doing that. Um, in fact, even talking to a friend of mine at breakfast this morning, she had just done a three-month meditation retreat at Tassajara where she had to live in an unheated cabin for three months. And just her description of what it was like to, you know, when you went to bed at night, putting on a wool hat and having hot water bottles and, um, you know, kind of recognizing, you know, I don't think I'd want to put my body through that kind of uh, discomfort that, you know, wasn't, wasn't so hard for me when I was younger. So... Um, You know, so that was that's kind of another seeing of how um, 
how the body's changed over over time. Um, on shorter time scales, noticing um, well, for example, noticing when I go out for a walk in the morning, I often stop at Starbucks and get a hot chocolate. You know, and it's like at first, the hot chocolate is it's very pleasant. You know, the, it's a little bit of caffeine and theobromine in it, so it, you get a little bit of a boost from it. And then I, I walk back home, and then I get a little bit of a sugar crash, you know, and so then my energy goes down. And then, um, and then at least on the weekends, then I take a little nap, <laughs> and then I wake up again, and my energy's back. So kind of seeing how the energy that the body has kind of changes throughout the day. Uh, the emotions can change throughout the day. You know, often, um, surprisingly quickly, you know, I can be sitting at my computer and feeling okay, and then you open an email and you read it, and it's like, oh my God, you know, this is like this, you know, like the, the one that I opened today had to do with um, this uh, sequestration that the government's going to enter tomorrow. So I work for the federal government. So this was an email from the head of the employees union just telling us just all of the dire things that are going to happen starting tomorrow and uh, you know I mean some of them pro you know there's there's some effect but you know mostly he's try you know he was trying to spur us into writing to our congressional representatives about uh, doing things but you know it's it's just amazing how you go from sort of feeling well I'm tranquil, you know, I meditated this morning, you know, I, I've got great mindfulness, and then you read one email, and it's like all of a sudden there's, you know, like there's a fear that comes up or, you know, apprehension. So, um, so those are just some of the examples of impermanence. And as, so I think all of these three qualities of, of, unsatisfactoriness or dukkha, uh, not-self, and impermanence, we can see at many different levels. Like even just during the day, you know, we can start paying attention to the way that our experience isn't, that our ideas of our life and who we are um, are not as fixed and rigid as our minds often want, think that they are that they're actually much more flexible and changeable. And then in l deeper meditation, as the mind gets stiller, particularly like on retreats, then you can start to see these things at finer and finer levels. You know, that you can, you can notice the, the changing nature of the breath, you know, like how each breath is subtly different than the one before it, that, that the breath is not a permanent thing. Um, you can see the, the, the working of the mind in terms of um, creating a sense of self. Um, uh, I'm not exactly sure what, how I can point to that other than, for example, 
um, on the retreats that I go on, there, there's often you sit for 45 minutes and you walk for 45 minutes. And you don't have to talk to anyone else. So, you know, there's no need to really um, be anybody during a retreat. And yet it's amazing how, how many thoughts go on about, I wonder if anybody is noticing how still I'm sitting right now. <laughs> You know, I haven't moved in 10 minutes, you know, and, you know, particularly that one teacher, you know, boy, Joseph Goldstein, now he's, you know, he's really like the, you know, the, the main guy, you know, I wonder if he really noticed how peaceful I look just sitting here or how, or watched, you know, in my walking meditation, how just, you know, how even my steps are and I haven't stumbled in the last five minutes. Um, you know, so even, even though you can say, well, there's no need to really be anybody on those retreats, you can start to see it's hard not to have that process going of, of wanting to look a certain way, um, wanting to relate to your experience a certain way, um, you know, Comparing mind going on, you know, like, oh, yeah, boy, that person looks really still, you know. I must be the worst meditator in the room. Or you look around and you go, yeah, everybody seems to be fidgeting a little bit. I I must be the best meditator in the room, you know. (laughs) Like all of these things happen, you know. on, On the retreat, there's nothing else going on. So you can start to see at a finer level the uh, the ways that we identify and and want to become somebody um, and all of the subtle forms of of clinging and, and um, dukkha you can start to see um, so I'm saying all of this. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because oftentimes when we're <laughs> impermanence of <laughs> this Dharma talk is a work in progress. I could blame it on my not having my notes, but um, I'm not sure they would have been too much more helpful. Yeah, I think it's so. So when you're meditating. Sometimes when you start to see this, this dissatisfaction or the, the impermanence or the, the way that you're create, trying to create a sense of self or a sense of identity, that those are not mistakes. Those are really, that's really what's important to pay attention to. So, um, so they're not necessarily going to stop. But what, what the meditation can do, yeah, that's right, so now I'm coming back to why, or why did you come here in the first place. Um, so what meditation can do by, as you start to notice these characteristics is that if you can just notice them coming and going without getting caught by them, you know, without being identified with them or trying to cling to them, there can be 
um, a freedom. So meditation can lead to this freedom from getting hooked by all of these things, getting hooked by the, the um, unsatisfactoriness and just noticing, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of how life is, you know, that um, we think that things ought to be a certain way and that they aren't. And that also doesn't mean that, that we don't take action. I mean, so you can notice, oh, this is how, this is how it is. Um, and that as we pay attention and are no longer quite as hooked by trying to make things conform to our idea of how reality ought to be, we can see the times where we actually have choices to, to do things differently, you know. So um, I was particularly thinking about um, the, the gentleman here who was talking about getting in touch with your beliefs. Um, as, as one meditates, you can start to see, well, you know, I think that I believe this, but, you know, my actions really don't seem to be in line with what I'm, you know, kind of what I think I believe. And so by paying attention to what's actually happening, you can, you can start to see, well, what is it that actually does motivate me to take action? You know, what are my deepest intentions? You know, are they around um, well-wishing for others? You know, wanting to lead a non-harming life. Um, maybe they're about um, wanting to acquire the things that we think will make us happy. Um, the way that we might be opening our heart for joy or maybe the way that we're that we actually think that we need to keep our hearts closed to protect them. You know, that's, I think that's a very common thing is that, that we've, you know, we may have been hurt in life and, you know, so there's some distrust of opening one's heart. Um, but it takes, it takes getting to a place of, um, Stillness, I think, I think it takes being able to get to a place of stillness and trust to where you can really see what's actually, what's actually happening here, you know. How, how is, you know, how is my heart responding to the world? How is my mind responding to the world? How is my body responding to the world? And so by... Um, yeah. So so meditation I in my experience can bring you to a more truthful and honest view of how you're actually living your life and in that place then you can you can see what choices you can make um, more clearly.
so that's really all I have to say. Uh, I'd be willing to take any kind of questions or comments you might have. Um, Well, if there are no um, questions, um, I want to thank you all for coming tonight, for listening. I hope that you continue to find value in doing this practice, um, that it leads you to a greater sense of ease and peace or at least a greater sense of, um, as Maureen was saying, of being right there with your experience. So even if the experience isn't peaceful and pleasant, still brings you to a place of being of authentic um, connection with what's going on. So thank you all. <laughs>